1950, the world's population of 2.5 billion people produced just over 1.5 million tons of plastic. Today, with a global population of more than 7 billion people, we produce over 320 million tons of plastic. And it's estimated that this number is set to double by the year 2034. And every single day, approximately 8 million pieces of plastic pollution finds its way into our oceans. 8 million pieces every single day. My guest today is doing her part to impact this issue in a big way. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Sarah Rhodes, the founder of Plastic Free Cambodia. Sarah has worked in the hospitality and tourism industry throughout her career, and she has a master's in tourism management, where she actually developed a keen interest in sustainable tourism. After four years working for the South Australian Tourism in online marketing management and project management roles, she undertook training via the Climate Leadership Corps led by Al Gore, former Vice President of the United States. After completing this training, Sarah moved to Siem Reap, Cambodia, where she worked primarily with the NGO sector and responsible tourism practices, during which time Plastic Free Cambodia was formed. This was such an incredible conversation. Sarah is so knowledgeable, and she really challenged me to think about maybe even doing a Plastic Free July myself. You're going to learn so much from this conversation with Sarah. So without further ado, on to my chat with Sarah Rhodes. Sarah, talking to you is already a very stark reminder of why I am so grateful for technology because we are literally on opposite sides of the world right now. And it's just so cool what technology can do to connect people who are thousands and thousands of miles away. So, Because you're talking <laughs> to us from Cambodia right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm in Siem Reap, so right near Angkor Wat. Now, if for people who are not familiar with the <laughs> geography of Cambodia, where exactly is that in the country? Uh, so, well, um, Cambodia is in Southeast Asia, uh, sort of nestled uh, up next to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And Siem Reap is kind of in the middle north of the country, um, quite near this like, quite remarkable lake called the Tonlesap Lake, which is just a phenomenal um, biosphere of like awesome bird life and wildlife. And seven k's south of Angkor Wat temples, which a lot of people know about the Angkor temples, they're quite famous. Yeah. Well, that is just amazing. And how long have you been living there? Four and a half years. Wow. Wow. And do you just absolutely love it? I do. I mean, it, it um, definitely has its moments. It's not like Australia at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. Toto, we're not in Kansas um, anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely got some magical moments. I mean, um, just before I came home tonight, I was able to go to the local market and buy amazing handmade fresh noodles for like 25 cents. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is yeah. just, a, just a little bit more affordable than the pasta that I buy at my grocery store. So... <laughs> Maybe a smidge. <laughs> just a smidge. So stuff, just like, a smidge. stuff like that that just is like, oh, wow, so lucky. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, Sarah, I want you to just, we're going to dive right in and have you give us the Sarah 101. So tell us who you are and how you got to living in Cambodia and how you got started with Plastic Free Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'll try and keep it uh, to the succinct version. (laughs) So I'm from Adelaide in South Australia. And from as young as I can remember, I always wanted to work in tourism, be involved in the tourism industry, travel, do all of these things. Um, And it was when I went back to university a second time around to do a postgrad that I really got, you know, got my hooks into like sustainable Uh, tourism or sustainability in tourism Mm -hmm. of course like you know life doesn't always uh, go the way we think it's going to go and I uh, I was still working in tourism but I went down a slightly different path and I was working in digital marketing which was super fun and I learned some amazing skills and it was all about promoting tourism and different destinations which was phenomenal but around 2012 I sort of had this um, moment where I was like oh hang on like this is this is fun and all, but this isn't what my dream was. So uh, I started to work at getting my dream back on track, which was, yeah, more of like sustainability or ecotourism. And um, after a f- fairly hefty attempt to to get something along those lines in Australia, I decided to broaden my search to Southeast Asia. Um, thinking, oh, it's quite close to Australia. It's actually not as close as it might seem. Um, (laughs) But also that it's quite an emerging tourism market. And I thought, well, if tourism's quite, you know, relatively new there compared to many other places, there could be some really good opportunities to get some, you know, sustainable development stuff happening before, you know, before tourism really takes a stronghold. I still like to hope that that might be possible. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) My search took me through Thailand and Cambodia and I was looking at some some things and contacts in Laos as well. Uh, But when I came to Cambodia, I met a guy that is running an NGO, a very small one. Uh, It's still just like him and I think about two, three staff. Um, He's from England, but he's like he's been in Cambodia, I think, close to 20 years now. And um, when I met him running his little NGO, which is called CONCERT, and it's an acronym for Connecting Environment, um, Communities Environment and Responsible Tourism, and I just thought, wow, okay, that ticks all the boxes. And we sat down and we had a a coffee and a chat, and um, he just left such a strong impact on me, and I thought I really need to spend some time learning from this guy. Uh, So I went back to Australia, sorted out my affairs, and packed up and, and moved over to Cambodia in late 2014. And... And it was while I was working with him that, you know, I I started to get a feel for the community here. It's a a really amazing community, very, very familiar, very, even though it's quite a a bustling little town, everyone sort of knows everyone and and you you get some connections happening quite quickly. And one of the things I noticed was that there's a lot of plastic pollution on the Mm -hmm. ground Mm -hmm. and 
So then starting to get a, you know, feel in the community who's doing something in the environment space and what's going on. And there really was not a lot really happening on the ground in terms of, of that at that time. And just before I'd left Australia, I'd partaken in this uh, challenge called Plastic Free July that was started by an amazing lady named Rebecca in uh, Western Australia, Perth. And just from my own experience doing that challenge, I realized, okay, oh my gosh, we use so much single-use plastic in our daily lives. And there's something we can do to minimize that if we just put a little bit of thought into it. And I thought, well, that really impacted me in the way I think. Why not run that challenge here and see and reap yeah. and see what the community thinks here and see what sort of an effect it can have. Uh, yeah, so I ran that challenge in 2015. Um, really, I would say like everything with PFC in the early days was kind of making it up as I went along because – I had this great job um, that I was really enjoying and, and this um, project was a little bit of a side gig. Um, however, uh, the universe had other ideas and um, obviously it's now no longer a side gig. Um, but in those early days, it, um, it started with this really phenomenal training restaurant uh, called Haven contacting me and saying, we love what you did with the challenge and we really want you to come and speak to our staff and our trainees and explain why plastic pollution is something that we should be so worried about. So ran that first workshop. Um, it was really sort of, you know, put some slides together, um, took some butcher's paper along and some, some crayons, I think it was, and they had one of their staff translating for me into Khmer language. And um, it's just evolved from there. And so probably around 18 months ago, I took the leap and I went out completely uh, by myself to work, you know, 100% of the time on Plastic Free Cambodia. And we still run regular workshops. I've got a young Khmer guy here who runs uh, monthly workshops in the local language. And I do a sort of heftier workshops, like half day, full day, or like consulting programs with businesses that want to uh, get rid of plastic out of their operations uh, as well as like I'm now developing some online programs and um, all sorts of things as well which is super exciting and so yeah that's kind of where we're at today and it's um, it's going to be the fifth plastic free July challenge this year which is really exciting and a little bit unbelievable um, and I've just like got so much so much exciting stuff going on and um it's i don't know it's so much to look forward to <laughs> yeah five i i would think that five years into plastic free july you've learned a little bit along the way um and what that looks like in a country like cambodia versus a country like australia or the united states mm -hmm. or even a country mm -hmm. in, in the uk um or in Europe, what have you learned in that five years? Because I can I can only imagine, like you said, how you were kind of really just figuring it out as you went when you started. And um, I mean, I have not personally been to Cambodia, but I have been to developing nations. And and the plastic problem in developing nations yes. in general is yeah. is overrun, mm -hmm. and um, and it's it's an issue that 
a lot of times they don't have the infrastructure to deal with. They don't have the resources in place to implement recycling. They don't have those kind of basic things that we might have in, in the first world to be able to do those things. So what, what kind of baby steps did you take in those first few years? Yeah, well, I really, um, well, so much, so much to, <laughs> so much to fill in on, on what you've just said because you're so completely right. It's so different. Uh, so, like a big part of it has been going through the steps and learning how to do it myself. Because mm-hmm. if I know how to do it, then I can show other people how to do it. And so, I really remember it in the very early days. You know, my first um, forays in learning uh, Khmer language were. Yeah, how to say I don't want a plastic bag and how I don't want a plastic straw and uh, things like that and just being able to interact with people at the, at the market and mm-hmm. local cafes and things. Um, and, of course, how people responded to that and how I, how I dealt with that has fed into how I'm then able to work that into workshops so that um, it equips other people with techniques. Um, it's sort of funny sometimes when people are a little bit Standby, how do I do that? It's like, well, you've got the advantage that you speak the local language. Yeah. So step step one. So like even in Australia, I would say to people, just yeah, have a conversation, use use your words to describe what you want. And when people understand where you're coming from, then they're going to be like more than happy to oblige most of the time. So yeah. Yeah. What it now for people who I mean, because especially I'm I'm assuming in the community that you're in, um, that it's just become like second nature, like you said, to kind of just use that plastic bag and grab that plastic straw. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just everywhere. I mean, we we talk about we've yeah. talked about this on the show before, but I think the conversation is important because I always like to tell I always like to say, like, look to, to my friends. I'm like, look, I'm not like this, you know, super, you know, like tree hugging hippie, even though that's OK. Like, but right. I even in my own places like I, or in my own home. I've tried to do little things like um, no longer use plastic wrap. Like I got the beeswax mm-hmm. wrap, um, yeah. you know, and, and Which is so much nicer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, re- using reusable grocery bags and mm-hmm. just try, I even got like the mesh um, bags for my produce and there's things mm-hmm. like that. So just trying to find ways to eliminate plastic wherever I can. Um, yeah. And, but it is, I mean, it is difficult when you live in a, in a society and in a culture that just has plastic everywhere. Um, so mm-hmm. in a community like this, how did you begin to even educate them on why this is important? Because I know okay. that it's just that that's a battle in and of itself. It, it is in that I'm kind of starting from square one. Um, and it isn't in that, uh, you know, like so much gratitude to the Cambodian people. Yeah. They love to learn. Yeah. And, you know, lost for words it's like every workshop something will happen where I'm just so inspired Mm. by them and how they've responded and what they have come up with or what they already do yeah um that's the bit you know like a lot of people say how do you keep doing this like it's brutal and I'm like can be brutal but I keep doing it because the response I get is 
just so inspiring. And it's like, okay, well, I need to keep going. It reminds me of a obviously different country, but um, there is a book that my daughter loves. And it's a, it's a, it's a children's book called One Plastic Bag. And mm-hmm. it is about the women of Gambia um, and one woman in particular, and I'm probably going to say her name incorrectly, but I believe it's Isatau Cisse um, is her name. And this, it's a true story of this woman in Gambia who was every day when she would be walking around her city, she would see, you know, just plastic everywhere and these plastic bags everywhere. And what began to happen were the goats and the sheep in their community, it's mm-hmm. a big farming community, began to eat them. And then it, yep. the plastic bags would wrap around the intestines of the Ooh. livestock and they would die. Mm-hmm. And yep. so in a community that was so dependent upon agriculture and farming and these animals, mm-hmm. It was beginning to really affect uh, it was it was affecting their community a lot. And so what she started to do was she would collect the plastic bags she would see on her walk home and she started to basically knit with them and create. Uh, you know, like handbags and purses and zipper pouches and all these kinds of things made out of these plastic bags she would find on the way home. And pretty soon she she began to bring in other women from the community to do this work with her and they began to sell them and pretty soon the entire community was free of plastic bags um and it's it's a really cool story I mean it's a it's a true story and my daughter loves it but it's it's given us the opportunity to talk about these issues on her level I mean she's only five um but it's Mm -hmm. you know talk talked about the point importance of you know, so now, like, my daughter is the one that is, you know, when we go to the grocery store, she's like, Mom, don't forget your, you know, your your bags for the groceries. Yeah. And so she knows. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, like, little conversations like that are important. But I, what that story mm-hmm. also reminds me of just in hearing from you is just the resourcefulness of people. Yes. And when you begin to just give them the education, you don't need to do it for them. Like they'll do the work no themselves and, and they yeah. will come up with the creative ways to implement the changes and things like that. And so I don't know, it It just, as we were talking, I just was like, oh man, it reminds me of that book I read to Lily yeah. all the time. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I can totally relate to so much of what you're saying. And I think we are still you know, sort of at the beginning of the curve, mm-hmm. um, more and more people are, are starting to understand it. I'm not sure if we're quite at that. I mean, like there's some like youth um, youth programs in the capital uh, city, Phnom Penh. There's a lot of youth programs there that encourage innovation, especially around environmental stuff, which is really amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of, yeah, really just in the early, early stages. Um definitely can see how like so many parallels with that story that you've just told and uh, Cambodia is also a very agriculture reliant Mm -hmm. uh, country Um, as you know you can see a lot of commonalities throughout the region and the more I speak to people from around the world actually a lot of commonalities in in all parts of um, in all parts of the developing world Um, just from the sheer nature like I think and this like comes back to you know my background um, in tourism is that tourism 
has had a has had a big impact on that because countries have seen the opportunity to promote tourism as another income source and with that has come oh well, we need to be modern and we need to be hygienic and we need to be able to you know show that and then they've adopted that into their their own lifestyles as well and and sadly a lot of that has to do with plastic so yeah um that's i think you know a big part of where it's come from yeah um but it's it's really great to see now that there's you know trying to think about solutions um i do just want to loop back to what you said earlier about you know trying to tackle this in a in a country that's different to you know like where i grew up or western countries that have a lot of infrastructure um so two parts on that like from a personal level because of the lack of infrastructure or I don't even know if I want to say lack. Um, what happens is a lot more organized. It's a lot smaller scale, but it's mm. a lot more effective. Um, so the very few things that can be recycled here uh, are recycled and not because of environmental protection, but because of money. Yeah. Um, so like, no, there's no big scale recycling happening in Cambodia at the moment. There are a few pretty awesome small projects and, you know, some in the pipeline. But the recyclables get transported out of Cambodia into neighbouring countries like Malaysia and Thailand for the actual recycling. But because there's money along the the chain, uh, that happens quite effectively. Um, But what it does mean is from an individual perspective, it's like, okay, so well, what am I going to buy and how am I going to buy it? And there's like, there's local markets at a stone's throw everywhere where if you get in with your produce, um, reusable produce bags and your, your um, tote bags and those kind of things, you can avoid all of the plastic in those marketplaces. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the point where my local market, I can take a jar, I get some funny looks, but I can take a jar and get freshly made coconut milk into my jar so because a lot of stuff is sort of just done and packaged up on the, on the spot, it's not prepackaged like mm-hmm. it is in supermarkets. Unfortunately, we do have a lot of modern supermarkets here now, which has gone from, I think, two when I moved here to <laughs> floss count now. Um, unfortunately, they do a lot of prepackaging. But in the local, in the local markets, it's, it's not a problem. So as an individual, I find that it's often easier uh, than I would find it if I was back in Australia. Yeah. The other thing, which is interesting, because like the countries that you mentioned, um, you know, UK, America, Australia, um, and you know, parts of Europe, uh, a lot of these countries have been and are still exporting their plastic mm-hmm. recyclables over to Asia, where, as you quite um, rightly pointed out, the, the infrastructure just isn't the same. Mm-hmm. So. You know, this is where you know, I see a lot of parallels and I feel like I'm in quite a, quite a special position to be able to see both sides of that fence, how it's affecting life here and, you know, where it's come from. Okay, I'm gonna, just going to take a quick break from this incredible conversation with Sarah. And I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show who helps to make it possible. And that is the Happiness Planner, one of my favorite brands. They design the most beautiful, inspirational planners, journals, and notepads. I personally love the Happiness Planner. It helps to keep me on track and find joys each and every day. They also have gorgeous journals that focus on different themes such as confidence, gratitude, growth mindset, and purpose. 
purpose. These are great tools to help you become more self-aware, happier, and feel more fulfilled. And for those of you who like to use apps, which I know I do, the Happiness Planner is also available via mobile and web app. Now, how is it different from other calendar and to-do list apps out there? Well, on top of a schedule and to-do lists, it comes with functions like monthly goal setting and reflections, meals and exercise recording, gratitude journaling, happiness, health, energy level tracker, and daily inspirational quotes and articles. You can check out their web app at thehappinessplanner.io or download the mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. And you can download a free printables on their website at thehappinessplanner.com. And you can use the coupon code LIVEWITHPURPOSE for 10% off your purchase. Now, back to my chat with Sarah. Now, when you first started, because you've been living in Cambodia, for, you said four and a half years. When mm-hmm. you first started, what are some of the things that you encountered then or just you know as you were starting out and figuring things out as you went but what looks different now than when you started four and a half years ago the awareness is so much greater now I remember speaking with you know extremely educated people about how burning plastic on the side of the road is really dangerous for health and having them look at me like I had two heads uh, to, <laughs> to now having conversations around, oh, yeah, well, we know what plastic-free Cambodia is and we know what the plastic-free July challenge is and we know it's bad for our health and it's bad for the environment. And so that conversation has just shifted miles, which is amazing. Now we have, you know, like more opportunity to work in the behavior change area. Yeah, absolutely. So as we are about to enter the fifth anniversary or the fifth annual, I guess I should say, Plastic Free July. (laughs) What is your goal going into this one? And do you have a different goal each year? Do you just kind of pray or hope for incremental (laughs) growth over the years? Yeah, Um, a bit bit of both. (laughs) Definitely a lot of the latter. No, but this year, this year, I really do have a goal. And um, this year is really about making a stronger impact throughout the region. So last year, I was fortunate enough to work with some clients in neighboring countries in Laos and in Myanmar, um, which was just phenomenal. It seems like there is a a lot of um, interest in in making some changes in the nearby countries as well. And I often get asked, oh, we need you in Thailand. When are you going to come here? Um, So this year is really about launching, launching, you know, programs that can be accessible in, you know, other parts of the region as well, because the information is so relevant and relatable across, across the whole continent, really. That's really exciting. I think, I mean, I remember when I first was introduced to you and heard about the work you were doing. um, I just thought it was so unique um, in a, and I mean that in like a, in a, this is something that is so needed. And Mm -hmm. so to see somebody who has the passion for it and the drive for it. um, And it's, it's interesting how you kind of came from this world of tourism and had this passionate for this passion for travel and, um, and then sustainable tourism, which man, we could do an entire podcast on that. Um, But, you know, but to come from that, and then to really kind of discover something that you really cared about, and you wanted to do something about it, um, along the way is just, it's really inspiring to me because I, 
I love when I see people kind of find their way in a on a unique path <laughs> and um, and then they just hyper focus on it. And it's just something mm-hmm. like, you know what, here's this issue or here's this particular problem or here's this um, this topic that I am just going to drive home and I'm going to do it until, you know, something or someone tells me that I'm supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. So yep. <laughs> what is on the horizon for you personally for, you know, the kind of the immediate future and, and kind of, you know, even, you know, five, 10 years down the road, what do you kind of see for mm-hmm. yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, well, immediately I'm um, planning to spend some time uh, in other countries. The next two trips planned are to Bali and to Cebu in the Philippines. Mm. Um, the latter is for a conference, but I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I might be able to reach out to some businesses while I'm there as well. So to physically sort of back up what, I, what I'm trying to do online in terms of expanding the, the reach and the messaging. Wow. And then in the long term, um, I really actually, I kind of see myself spending some more time back in Australia. Yeah. Uh, there's some things I miss, um, but I feel like I could, I could make a life that's quite balanced in between the two, the two continents. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. only imagine. I mean, I know that it's got to be hard to be so far away from home. And like, while you love, you know, parts of Cambodia, it's it's also it's it's not home um, mm, in, mm. in a lot of aspects. So um, I know that that's probably something that you you must miss. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, you know, having had something that you know, I've spent most of my life in Australia, um, this has been phenomenal. I definitely uh, really didn't expect when I left, <laughs> that I was still going to be here, in, you know, like four and a half years later. Um, but that's a wonderful surprise. Um, and there's definitely parts of Cambodia that are like just so incredible. But yeah, I feel like a little bit of balance between the two would be would be lovely. Yes. Now, okay, then this is my last question before we get to the um, our, our just kind of fun get to know you round. So yeah. <laughs> when somebody is looking to go plastic free or take take part in a plastic free July type challenge obviously Mm -hmm. the easy things off the top of our heads to eliminate are things like plastic grocery bags and straws Mm -hmm. things like that what are some of the more difficult things you have found to go plastic free on and what would maybe be your tip for those to Mm -hmm. to tackle that particular thing Mm. um for me, okay, so every – so this will be the fifth Plastic Free July in Cambodia, but it will be my sixth one personally. Mm-hmm. And every year I pick one of these slightly trickier things to tackle and work on. Um, and I have to say, like, even for me, probably the hardest one has been around milk. Mm. Um So I've stopped drinking dairy milk, but regardless whether it's dairy milk or nut milk or whatever, um, there's not much that comes uh, in sustainable packaging. I mean, there is a resurgence of milk being bottled in glass in the UK. And there was one organic farm uh, where I was actually living in Sydney before I came over here uh, where I was able to buy milk in in glass bottles. Uh, Unfortunately, that particular one couldn't send the glass back, so I ended up just using them for uh, storing rice and grains and flour and stuff in. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's interesting because a lot of, you know, a lot of, well, certainly a lot of the milk we get here is in Tetra Packs, which are like almost impossible to recycle. No one wants mm. to spend time splitting the layers of materials apart to recycle them. Um, and a lot of the, the milk in the West is in, in plastic um, plastic containers. So, yeah, that's a tricky one. So I've been experimenting with all different kinds of milk. Um, soy milk has probably been the easiest one to make. Um, but then, yeah, then I've always been like, okay, there's all this like soy pulp that's got a proper name, but I don't know what the name is. Um, you know, what to, what to do with all of that, which feels a little bit wasteful sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've had a go at oat milk. Um, I haven't mastered the formula yet. Um, the, the few batches I've made have tasted pretty rank. <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's other things. I mean, like I know that's that, you know, around the sort of zero waste circles and whatever, almond milk's really popular, but almonds are s- super expensive here. So, mm. um, yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those things I keep experimenting on. So that's been one that's been a little bit more of a challenge, you know, maybe on an, on an easier level and something that, you know, people might not even think about is um, I, yeah, one of my future goals is going to be quitting sugar, but um, we're not there yet. So one of my guilty pleasures is I, I do like to have sugar in my cup of tea or coffee. Yeah. And going out to cafes, often it's in a, um, a paper tube or a paper packet. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm not sure, it's been, it's been a while, um, but um here, often that paper has also got like a thin plastic um, lining as well mm. to protect it from the humidity. So I've started just like taking my own little jar <laughs> of sugar around with me. Um, so that's how I've solved that one. I mean, like, that one's really easy. It's just a matter of like remembering to top up the jar. It's one of those tiny little yeah. uh, jam jars that you, you know, get with, I don't know, scones and stuff or at B&Bs. It, yeah. So... Yeah, so I thought I couldn't really leave it on the milk. That was a bit tricky. So I'll throw in an easy one as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's smart. I like that idea of just something <laughs> that's something even, you know, somebody here who I mean, I'm not a coffee drinker, but um, somebody who is a coffee drinker might, you know, you know, carry around, you know, those little like, I don't know what like what the cream comes in those little plastic tubs or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, absolutely anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are really good tips. I appreciate that, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Well, so now this is the part of the show where we transition just a little bit to ask some fun, get to know you questions before we go. And as my listeners know, this is also the portion of the show that my husband inserts some type of sound effect or movie clip to transition us. Mm-hmm. And we never know what it's going to be. So mm-hmm. Sarah, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Planet will be here. We'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. You want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people at Pompeii who are frozen into position from volcanic ash. How the planet's doing. Want to know if the planet's all right? Ask those people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a threat to the planet this week. How about those people in Kilauea, Hawaii, who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room? 
Okay, so the first question is, what fictional place would you most like to go to? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's really hard, Molly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, like maybe I don't even know the proper names of these things. Um, you might have to bear with me. But where did um, where did the Little Mermaid live? I wouldn't mind living where the Little Mermaid lived. Oh yeah, um, like in the I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if there was a name, but like her little cave with all of her trinkets and. <laughs> yeah, something like that, but like pre-plastic, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, that's perfect. I love it. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to pretend I was Ariel every time I went to the pool and I would like try to dive out of the water like a mermaid. It probably looked yeah. way less graceful than I thought it did in my mind. Sure. Um, Doesn't matter. Your memory is all that counts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. What skill do you not necessarily have, but you would like to master? Is there a particular skill you'd like to learn or master? Hmm. Actually, just being able to sit cross-legged for more than 15 minutes. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't seem to matter. Like I, I used to, you know, do a lot of yoga, and um, I've dabbled with meditation, and my legs just go numb, and it's difficult. Well, it's funny because I had a meeting on Monday night, and we were. Uh, sitting on the floor in a circle and I was sitting cross-legged and I've like after 10 minutes I was like I am too old to do this like I can't sit crisscross applesauce anymore like my my back started to hurt my knees were hurt my feet were falling asleep I was like what is wrong with me yeah I'm not sure like I mean there's a lot of people that say you just have to practice but I've I've had a a lot of goes at it (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Then the next question is, what takes up just far too much of your time other than trying to make milk? Far, <laughs> <laughs> um, far, far more, more time than that. I um, need to spend less time on social media. It's, um, <laughs> it's so... Like it's so I pass it off as work related and I'm sure that that's not a hundred percent. Um, but I do pass it off as work related. I'm like, oh, I'm just looking for that post that I saw three years ago so that I can share it because it's relevant now. Um, yeah, I need to get a little bit more efficient with that. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I took Facebook off of my phone this year and that has helped no. so much. I wish Instagram had a desktop platform that was actually usable right. because oh I would totally delete it off my phone because I do need it for work-related stuff. Um, uh-huh. But I'm like, man, I wish I could delete it like I can, like yeah. I can Facebook. Absolutely. No, so I actually, um, I have I have two phones here because I'm so cool. No, um, it's just kind of how, just kind of how things roll here. And the other one is a super simple Nokia with no internet. It's got like, you know, the the two-tone colored screen. Yeah. And I would love for that just to be my phone. But Instagram, yeah. I don't know how I would cope it's with so that Instagram. Hard. It's so hard. I, know, I completely yeah. understand. Um, <laughs> and then the last question is, what is something – actually, this is our second to last question. I'm sorry. Uh, what is something that you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? So – this is a little bit biased, but I think that everyone should see Angkor. Um, Angkor Wat is probably the most famous temple that people go to, but some of the the less famous per se ones are just magical. 
um, there is something, there is seriously something about this place. And I, I think that everyone should have a chance to feel that magic. Yeah, the pictures that I have seen are just absolutely beautiful. And I would, that is a, for sure, a bucket list thing for me is to go visit mm-hmm. that because they're, they're beautiful. I mean, I, I feel like every time I see pictures of it, they're just, you know, they're, they're on these massive like screensavers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> screensavers on your computer or your like Apple TV or something like that. Uh, but they're just, mm-hmm. they're so beautiful. So, and you, they're just as, I'm, I can only imagine that they are even more beautiful and incredible to see in person. They are. They are. Absolutely. And so when you do come, let me know because, you know, I'll show you around. Yes, absolutely. Um, Okay. And then my last question, Sarah, and this is the one that I ask all my guests, and that is, what are Mm -hmm. you most, what are you most grateful for today? I have to be a little bit general because there have been a lot of amazing people in my day, yourself, one of them, but everybody that I interacted with today has made me feel really grateful to be here. I love that. That is really, yeah, when you take a moment to just think about the people that you get to talk with or interact with in some way during the day, um, it's it just is such a reminder of how cool life can be and how awesome life can mm-hmm. be and um, that we, life yeah. is better when you do it in community and you're, you know, you're taking time to put down your phone and look up and have conversations with people. And um, Mm -hmm. even when we're halfway across the world, so (laughs) Mm -hmm. even halfway across, especially halfway across, especially halfway across the world. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been just such a joy and a pleasure to hear your story and hear about everything you're doing um, with plastic free Cambodia. Um, I think it's, it, I think it's absolutely incredible and I can't wait to continue to see how you grow it and how it continues to impact the people there. And, um, and, you know, hopefully in Bali and the Philippines and other countries that you get to connect with, that would be amazing. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you too. Thank you. This has been just so delightful. Um, it's been really great talking with you and thank you so much for having me on the show. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or maybe something that you learned. And I am actually challenging you to consider taking part in Plastic Free July or some version of it. Now, if you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. And another huge thank you to our sponsor, The Happiness Planner. Visit thehappinessplanner.com with the code live with purpose for 10% off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Be sure to visit our archives for so many incredible past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener, thank you for your support and for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed. By clicking that button, that helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, with support from Kelly Dalton, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening, and go do something good with purpose on purpose.